to be here and to be with you. Speaking of seminary, when I went to seminary in the spring of 98, the Lord graciously gave me two part-time jobs. I may have shared this with you before, but just briefly. Uh, one was with a ministry, but one was with a, uh, a business. And the word spread pretty fast that there was a 42-year-old seminary student now working um, in, this, in this business. It was a heavy equipment business. And everybody wanted to come by and get a look at the, the 42-year-old seminary student. I was like the new animal in the zoo. Um, and I quickly realized that things had changed for me. I was no longer Jim the CPA guy. I was Jim the theological consultant guy. And uh, so all the employees, they wanted to come by and, you know, take a look at me, check me out. But then they wanted to talk a little theology, right? They wanted to, to bounce some things off of me. And, you know, the, the uh, president of the company started to call me uh, the company chaplain before very long. Jackie was a young Jewish woman, and she wanted me to tell her that her Judaism would take her to heaven. Glenn was a Mormon. And Glenn wanted me to affirm that as a Mormon, he was a true follower of Christ. Bill was a Roman Catholic, and he wanted me to tell him that all of his religious activity assured him of salvation. Janet was a nominal Methodist who was unfulfilled in her marriage, and she wanted me to tell her that it was okay to leave her husband. Ray was just a nice guy. You know those guys? He's just a nice guy. He mowed his grass. He paid his taxes. And on special occasions, he would, uh, he would even go down to the Presbyterian church, right, on Christmas and Easter. And he wanted me to tell him that God was impressed with his nice guy, occasionally church-going life. Um, then there was Sharon. She was an on-again, off-again Baptist with a pregnant teenage daughter. She wanted me to tell her that it was okay for her daughter to abort the child. And then there was Paul. He was the playboy president of the company. He wasn't interested in church at all. He just wanted me to tell him there was no hell. So, uh, yeah, I learned pretty quick that uh, things had changed for me. I was now a theological authority, so to speak, at least in some people's eyes. But... If you listen closely, you realize that all of them came to me asking me to affirm something that I could not biblically affirm. They didn't really come for the truth. <laughs> they, came, they came for a lie. They wanted me to lie to them, really, actually. Um, it's something I learned really, really early as a seminary student. That, and I, I pretty much knew it before I went. Most people really aren't interested in the truth. Most people aren't. They just want you to tell them what they want to hear, right? You guys understand what I'm saying? Um, yeah, human beings are odd creatures. You know, when they go to the mall, they want a name brand, right? Don't you want, you want the authentic name brand? But you come to church, you know, people go to church and they'll take anything. Just tell me anything, as long as it doesn't upset my lifestyle, right? As long as you don't, you know, get between my ears and mess with me, right? You can tell me anything you want. You know, we'll take any old knockoff imitation at church. You go to the mall, got to have authentic name brand merchandise. But it seems like we're pretty fast and loose with our requirements at, at church. When it came to spiritual matters, Jackie, Glenn, Janet, 
Ray, Sharon, and Paul, they weren't interested in what I had to say, which was this. This is the only counsel I give. I have, I have nothing else to counsel with. This is all I counsel with. And uh, they weren't interested in that. Last, uh, the last two weeks we've been talking about uh, religion, world religions, uh, in the first sermon. And then, and then secondly, we talked about pseudo-Christianity, which is false Christianity. Counterfeit Christianity, which is epidemic in the world today. Um, I made the case for why I do not care for the word religion or why I see it at least in a pejorative sense or in a derogatory sense. I know that most people in the world, they don't agree with me in this regard. They think a little religion is a good thing. Well, I told you last week that religion is not only not a good thing, it, it, uh, it's harmful to anyone who engages in it uh, in accordance with my definition my definition being that religion is man trying to do something to please God. Man trying to, to, to do something to placate God. And biblical Christianity is altogether different. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. I just want to review because I don't want any of you to forget this. I'm going to make a, just review a couple of points that we've talked about the last two weeks. I won't bring it up again. But I want you to get this. I hope this will uh, cement this into your mind. Why is Christianity... Why, I made the point. Why is biblical Christianity not a world religion in my view? Anybody remember? It's because it's not what we do. It's what God does. Biblical Christianity is not about what I do to be saved. It's about what God has done to secure my salvation. No other religion, no, let me put it this way, no world religion is like that. I refuse to call biblical Christianity a religion. So I want to be careful with my words. Man-made religion is procedural. It's what four things do I need to do to make sure I don't go to hell. Biblical Christianity, what did we say? Anybody remember? It's not procedural. What is it? It's relational. It's relational. It's about coming into a relationship with the living God. Secondly, the second point I'd like to bring up, religion including pseudo-Christianity, it's creature-conceived and it's man-centered. Whereas biblical Christianity is God-conceived and God-centered. Thirdly, who was the source of all this religious confusion in the world? We made the biblical point. Anybody remember? Satan is the source. So how can we always identify a Satan-inspired and man-made religion? What is the key element? How can we always tell if it's a false religion? How can we always tell? It's what they say about Jesus. You can always tell. It's real simple. If they say that He's less than God Himself, it's false. If they say that He was merely a prophet, it's false. If they say He's only a God among many gods, it's false. If they say He was a false Messiah, it's, yeah, it's demonic. If they say that, uh, or if they alter or diminish uh, Him in any way as, to, as compared to what the Bible says, or if they simply ignore Him as irrelevant, it is a false religion. It is satanic. It is demonic. If a religion tells either an explicit or implicit lie about Jesus, and they all do, 
It's from the father of lies. This is what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. Any religion that says anything different than the Bible says about Jesus Christ, it's false. If it's false, it's a lie. If it's a lie, it comes from the father of lies. John chapter 8. So, if you have any questions about that over the last two sermons, please feel free to drop me an email or call. I'll be happy to talk to you about that. Hopefully, um, we understand that concept. So I asked the Lord where to go from those two sermons and immediately He took me to the book of Jude. Um, as you know, some of you may know, principally Jude's talking about pseudo-Christianity. He's talking about false teachers. So it made sense to me that the Holy Spirit um, led me there. One thing we did talk about in the last few weeks is where does apostasy, apostasy start? I think we mentioned this last week. Where does apostasy start? It normally starts with the clergy. Okay? It starts with the ministers and the pastors and the priests. We saw it in the Old Testament. They, they went apostate. We saw God condemn them for it. Pseudo-Judaism flowed out of an apostate priesthood. The same is true of pseudo-Christianity. It flows out of an apostate clergy. And so... It's perpetuated by the religious professionals. And I wanted to ask you, we talked about this I think last week too, why did false shepherds get so much traction in Old Testament Israel? And why do false shepherds get so much traction in the New Testament church? Anybody remember? We talked a little bit about this. You remember that great text over in Isaiah uh, chapter 30, verses 9 and 10? The Jews said to the prophets, Speak pleasant words to us. Right? Speak pleasant words to us. Speak illusions to us. Don't bring us the Word of God. Speak pleasant words to us. Isn't that epidemic in much of what is called Christendom today? You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, the day will come, and obviously the day is here, that they will not endure sound doctrine, they desire to have their ears tickled and will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, turning away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. So false teachers flourish because the people like them. <laughs> um, there you go. Old Testament and New Testament. False teachers flourish because people prefer a good tickle and a good myth over the hard truth of God. This is the one thing I learned working at that business in that first semester of seminary. Jackie and Glenn and Janet and Ray and Sharon and Paul, they didn't, they didn't want the truth. Um, and you know, being a preacher is the only profession I'm aware of that if you do a really, really good job, you might get fired. Because if you preach the truth, if you preach God's Word, if, if, if you can stand in the pulpit and actually preach what God says, many churches will run you off. I've had several good brothers from seminary. They've been fired because they preached the Bible accurately. You know, you can't get in the way of a denomination. You know? It seems like many times the denomination means more than the truth of the Word of God. So, um, false teachers 
usually take churches and denominations into apostasy. So Jude, just quickly, who is Jude? Does anybody know? The man who writes this letter. Jude is... Okay, he, it's, a, it's a consensus among sound biblical scholars and theologians that Jude is one of the four half-brothers of Jesus, okay? And he's also, as it says in the text, he is the brother of James. Now, who's James? James is the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, right? And he's also the man who wrote the epistle uh, that bears his name. So Jude is in, yeah, he's got connections, right? He's a half brother to the Son of God, <laughs> right? And he's a brother, he's a brother to the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem. But did you notice here in verse one how he how he referred to himself? Someone tell me how he referred to himself. He says, I'm Jude, I'm a half brother of the Son of God and a full brother to the pastor of the biggest church in the world. Right? What does he say? He says, I am the slave of Jesus. It gives me goosebumps. Is that how you see yourself? I am the slave of Jesus. I love that. You know, Paul begins many of his letters the same way. I am the bondservant of Jesus. I am doulos. The Greek. I am a slave. That's really what we are. If we've understood our Christianity. We are slaves. I was telling uh, Sarah, uh, she was here and we were talking about the text and, uh, and I told Sarah, I said, it's being a slave in the very best way. <laughs> in the most beautiful, intoxicating, delightful, wonderful way. We are the slaves of Jesus. Doulos, it means to give oneself up to another. Let me ask you, that's biblical Christianity. Is that who you are in Christ Jesus? Have you given yourself away to Christ? That's really what it's about. It's not about coming to church and, you know, checking your box. Coming to church, you should come to church. God commands us to, to gather together as the body of Christ. But that cannot be the sum and substance of your Christianity. Doulos, it means to be devoted to another. Let me ask you, are you devoted to Christ? Are you His? That's really always the bottom line. Are you His? Are you at His beck and call? If He calls, will you go? Be devoted to, a, to another to the disregard of your own interest. Don't you love this Greek word? <laughs> I'm devoted to Him to, to the point where I disregard my own interest. You know, if you read the New Testament, you realize that Christians aren't often called Christians. There's only, I think, I could be in error on this, three times in the New Testament that Christians are actually called Christians. You know what they're called most often? Slaves. They're called, they're, this, this word doulos is used. They're called, the bond, they're called bond servants. <clears throat> you know, it would really be more appropriate if the world called, called us Slaves of Jesus. That would be more appropriate. It would be more biblical, actually. 
That's how the New Testament talks about us. That's the kind of devotion we have for Him. Amen? That's what it means to be in relationship with this awesome God. Jude said, I've given myself to Jesus. No qualifications. I belong to Him. I am His slave. I do whatever He says. I go wherever He says to go. I speak how He tells me to speak. I am His slave. I am not His fan. I am not His admirer. I am not His associate. I am His slave. I love it. So you and I understand where Jude is coming from. We love Jesus like that too. So who's Jude writing to? Obviously, he's writing to true believers, not merely church members and church attenders and pseudo-Christians who only wear the label Christian. He's writing to lovers and followers of Christ. He's writing to the doulos guys. Not the moderated, conditional, disposable Christianity we talked about three weeks ago. Not the nominal, lukewarm, or dispassionate kind of Christianity we also talked about three weeks ago. Not those Christians who you know, only dabble and splash around in the shallow water with Jesus. Not those who only show up when it fits their schedule. Jude is writing to the doulos guys. He's writing to the called, to the beloved, and to the kept. Did you see it there in verse 1? He said, you are the called, you are the beloved, and you are the kept. Don't you love it? I got hijacked this week because I went into Jude to start talking about false teachers and false, false religion. It seemed, it seemed like the perfect text to buttress what I'd been saying for the first, first, uh, first couple of weeks here, the last couple of weeks. And I got hijacked. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't get off this called, beloved, kept thing. I got lost in the fact that I'm called, I'm beloved, and I'm kept. Amen? Do you get it? If you're a Christian tonight, if you're born again, if you're a disciple of Christ, you're called, you're beloved, and you're kept. I mean, I couldn't blast past that. I wanted to blast past that and get down to verse 4 and start talking about false teachers and false religion and pseudo-Christianity, and I couldn't get past it. I got ambushed. I got waylaid by the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, I just, yeah, I, I got pretty excited about it. Um, it's Romans chapter 5. God called us while we were helpless and ungodly. God loved us while we were sinners and enemies. And I'm going to go to Jude 25 for this one. And He keeps us as He exercises His sovereign dominion. We are called we are loved and we are kept. <laughs> Has there ever been any better news than that? <clears throat> I love this text. You know, it makes me think of what Jesus just kept saying in the Gospel of John. He just kept saying it in the Gospel of John. He says, I won't lose any that the Father has given to me. I'll never lose one of them. We are kept. Not because we're good and religious, and we do religious things, we are kept because Jesus is a sovereign King and He holds His people. 
And we cannot be separated from King Jesus. Amen? We are kept. It doesn't matter how much religion I do. In fact, God prefers I do no religion. He hates religion. We made the case. He hates it when men try to justify themselves before Him. We made that case. God hates that. Read your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. He hates it. I don't have to do religion. I'm called. I'm loved. I'm kept. It's an awesome text. It made me think of Romans 8. 29 to 30. Some of you already know what I'm going to say. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. Did you notice? It's all past tense. What does it mean? It's a done deal. I'm sorry, I'm in your space. Karen says, you get in my space. Don't get too close. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Allison. I got into Allison's space. It's a done deal. We don't do religion. We don't need religion. Religion gets in the way. We have direct access to the living God, the Creator God, the Redeemer God. He's our friend as the Bible tells us. So how can you believe that and live it small? Amen? If you believe it, I'm going to challenge you. If you believe that's true, how can you go out there and live that small? How can you live that small at work? How can you live that small in, in your marriage? I don't think you can. It's the point that Jude begins this letter. It's the same point Peter made in 1 Peter. And I know... Listen, if you want to get up a petition and fire me, you know, I hope you don't, but I'm going to say something I've said to you over and over and over again. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I have to say it one more time. I promise I won't say it again at least for another Sunday. Okay? But you guys remember who were, you guys that were here with us when we went through 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we see this, this awesome litany. And I know I did it a couple of weeks ago. I, I won't do it again for a, a while, I promise. But I couldn't help but think of it. God says, 1 Peter chapter 1, He says, I've chosen you. Verse, verse 1. I've redeemed you by My blood. Verse 2. I've sanctified you with My Spirit. Verse 2. I've caused you to be born again. Verse 3. I've prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. Verse 4. I'm protecting you with My omnipotent power. Verse 5. I'm perfecting your faith in every trial. Verse 6 and 7. And I am saving your soul. Verse 8 and 9. Beloved, we are called, we are loved, and we are kept. You have license. To live your faith as huge as you dare. God's hand is on you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to shrink back. Your God is God. And your God has called you. And He's loved you. And He's keeping you. It's a... You think deeply about it. Yeah. You can't go unaffected. So we're not a religious people. <laughs> you, 
you got to be kidding me, right? Religion? Are you serious? <laughs> it's just a drag. But knowing God and being loved by God, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, if you read your Bible, you realize it just happens all the time. People just walk right into God. It happened to Moses. It happened to David. It happened to Paul. It just happens all the time. It happened to Matthew. You know, it happened to Peter. God just steps into His people's lives. Amen? <laughs> I love it. You know, Paul was just doing religion on the road to Damascus. And Jesus knocked him down and changed all that, right? Beloved, we always have to remember this is God's idea. The church is God's idea. Salvation is God's idea, right? And as I said last week, of course, we, we exercise the faith that He's given to us and, and we exercise the repentance that He's granted to us. Of course, we must exercise this. We must exercise our will to choose Christ. Of course! But the more we understand the Bible, the more we understand He came for us. <laughs> you know, he invaded my life. I don't know about you. He just stepped in. I was minding my own business. I was a good religious Baptist. And then some guy read the Bible and BAM! My life has never been the same. I heard him. That's how I was converted. There are many different, obviously, ways that God converts His people. So, we are the called. What does it mean? I'm not going to go into detail because if you, uh, we talked in detail about these words uh, when we were in 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter on the podcast site, download the first three sermons, and you'll get a pretty detailed explanation of what's being said here in the New Testament when the word called is in the text. Uh, God uses the word called. He uses the word chosen. He uses the word elect. He uses the word foreknown. He uses the word predestined. I know these words make some people tense, but listen, beloved, uh, they are not my words. They are God's words, and you need to deal with them. If you're afraid of these words, then it's up to you to study the Bible and come to an understanding of these words. Listen, I, I tell people all the time that come through this church, they, they say, Jim, I, I struggle with this truth, this truth of predestination and election and, and the foreknowledge of God and the foreordination of God. I, I struggle with these truths. I say, that's fine. So does everybody else. But what the true believer doesn't do is discount them or edit them or twist them or reinterpret them or ignore them. That is to touch the glory of God in the salvation of His people, beloved. We need to have some respect with how we handle the Word of God. And I, I know there are brothers out there, well-intentioned brothers, but beloved, the words mean what the words mean. The words, you know, Words mean things, right? <laughs> they mean things. And listen, don't be wary of this doctrine. God means for you to work hard to grasp this doctrine, to embrace this doctrine, to love this doctrine, and to understand that you are called of God. And God's hand is on you. And God has loved you from eternity past. 
And God is going to keep you because He's a sovereign God. God means for you to know this because if you know this, you'll go out there and you'll live this. If you don't know God is sovereign, you're going to be afraid all of your life. If you know He's a sovereign God who has called you and who loves you and is keeping you, beloved, we do have, we do have license. And I'm just going to go, you know, I was thinking about these things and I get so jacked up, you know. I can't believe I get money to, to sit behind my desk and study the Bible. I can't believe it, man. It's like the best job in the world, right? And I got all excited. And I, I was thinking about, you know, what, what it's like to be, to, to be called and to, to be loved and, 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 and to be kept by God. And I couldn't help but think of Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to go there real quick. If you want to go with me, Revelation chapter 5, I'm going to pick up at verse 9. This is the new song. You know, this is the new song. It says, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you're, uh, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to, your God, to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Hallelujah, King Jesus. Amen. We are the called, we are the beloved, and we are the kept, and we'll never stop praising Christ because all that's true, and He's brought us to heaven. Not because we're religious, but because He's awesome. Yeah, I hate religion. I hate it. It always takes men's eyes off Christ. It always becomes something I have done. I love this text. I got so excited. this I got hijacked, man. I wanted to talk more about religion and false teaching. <laughs> But I, I'm called. I'm loved. I'm kept. Don't you ever let anyone talk about biblical Christianity in the context of world religions. It is not a religion. It is God loving His people and coming for His people and saving His people and keeping His people. When I was reading Revelation 5, I've got it written in the margin of my Bible, right? It's an old American, uh, African-American spiritual. And I have it written in the margin there, and I saw it, and I couldn't help but chuckle. I thought I would share it with you. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. Amen? Is there, I know some of, you, some of you non-Americans won't understand. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus! It's an old African-American him, what it means, I'll, I'll try to translate it like this, nobody's ever taken care of me like Jesus has taken care of me. From beginning to end, from eternity past, throughout eternity future, ain't nobody do me like Jesus. Amen? I got ambushed <laughs> this week. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great. You know, I just sit behind my little desk and God comes down. And uh, 
it's just a party, man. It's just, I, I can't believe. He comes down, he tells me stuff, and, and uh, I have to get out. I have to lay on my face on the floor and, you know, raise my hands. And Anyway, verse 2. May mercy and peace be love, and love be multiplied to you. There are 12 sermons here, but I'm going to blow past it except to say, let me just say this, God's math is way better than our math. Uh, when God does His sums, uh, it's God-sized multiplication. He, God works with infinity and eternity. God will multiply limitless mercy, peace, and love to His people everlastingly. begins now, and we shall experience it forever and ever. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. You see, Jude was ambushed too. Do you see here? Because he was, going to, he was going to write about something else. Did you notice this? He got ambushed by the Holy Spirit too. He says, man, I was going to write to you about our common salvation. Uh, I suspect probably a, a mini treatise like uh, from Romans, uh, maybe comparable to Romans 8, Romans 9. And, uh, but then he says, but I felt it necessary... I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. He said, I wanted to talk to you about the whole called thing and the whole beloved thing and the whole kept thing. But I have to write to you about false teachers. And I have to remind you why you're still on the planet. You are to contend for the faith. We had a great couple of speakers in the conference and I heard one of his messages. He was talking about running. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Paul says, I run the race to win, right? And he was talking about running. He says, Christ, real Christians, true Christians, born again Christians, they run. They fight. They finish. They persevere with God. Amen? That's what he was saying. We will contend for the faith. That's really why we're here. You say, well, Jim, I have an important job. I'm a, a very important person. And, or I, I, I have a family. And, I, and listen, these are, these are things that God blesses us with. I want you to understand... You're an employee under the Lordship of Jesus. You're a husband under the Lordship of Jesus. You're a wife under the Lordship of Jesus. You're a church member under the Lordship of Jesus. You're a neighbor under the Lordship of Jesus. It's all His doulos. Remember? Doulos. Are you a slave? Or is it just a matter of convenience for you? Is it just a matter of showing up for church on Sunday? Beloved, biblical Christianity, it's the doulos thing. It's the bondservant thing. And we will run, we will fight, we will finish. One, because He's holding us. Two, because we love Him. We're hopelessly in love with Him. We've never loved anyone like Him. We will contend earnestly for the faith. And Jude is saying, he's going to call the, uh, the, the readers of his letter to not forget to contend for the faith. And that's really the challenge for you and I here tonight as well. So Jude, <laughs> he got hijacked. 
I can relate. I can relate. I love what Romans 8 says. It says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will finish. And we will contend for the faith. We will. It's what Christians do. It's what it's always looked like in the Bible. (laughs) That's what it looks like in the Bible. It's the doulos thing. It's giving ourselves to Christ at work, in the home, in the neighborhood, obviously in the church, in the culture at large. People know we belong to Jesus. They know we're a slave of Christ. It's in our speech. It's in our actions. Everybody knows it, right? Everybody knows it. It's no secret. I'm a doulos of Jesus, and I'm happy to be. And if you hang around me very long, I'm going to tell you all about it, right? (laughs) That's how it is for us. We contend earnestly for the faith. We contend for it. And there are several important things here to talk about in verse 3, and I'm not going to get to all of it. We'll pick up in verse 3 next time we get together. But the necessity here, the necessity here, as I said, the false teachers are teaching their lies. The false teachers, the pseudo-pastors, the pseudo-ministers, the pseudo-shepherds, they're coming in, they're attacking the Word of God. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Satan always attacks the Word of God. You can always tell a false Christian church, a pseudo-Christian church, a counterfeit Christian church, they, they're always fast and loose with this. They always edit this. They always reinterpret this. Or they leave this. Or they add things to this. Or they take, away thing, they take things away from this. Or they put this on par with tradition and, and councils and, and creeds and dogma. Uh, that's that's a way you can, one way you can tell. Uh, pseudo-Christianity. We talked about it, I think, a week or so ago. Verse 4, we didn't get down to verse 4, but if you see there, he says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Amen? These false teachers, they don't come in and say, hey man, I'm a surrogate of Satan. They don't come in uh, saying they're false teachers. They come in smooth. And they'll tell you eight things that are true, but the last two you better watch out for. They'll tell you two blatant lies that contradict the Word of God. They'll tell you eight things that are true, and you say, well, this guy sounds okay. And then they'll slip in the two lies, right? This is what they do. Jews says they've crept in unnoticed. The only way a false teacher can creep in unnoticed is if you don't know your Bible. It's your job to know your Bible. You're supposed to know what God says. So if I'm standing up here uh, as a false teacher, you're supposed to be able to recognize that I'm a false teacher. That's your job. God expects you to do this, beloved. We talked last week about the naivete that, that uh, is rampant really in much of what is called Christendom. People think, well, if the Pope says it, it's right. Wrong! Well, if some Protestant preacher says it, it's right. Not necessarily. It might be right. It's only right if it agrees with this. The 66 books 
of the Bible. So, I think we got that, Lord willing. So, I'm not going to fully be able to fully develop verse 3. We'll pick up there next week. Um, so, but I do want to challenge you. you. You've heard the challenge. I've heard the challenge. Are you contending earnestly for the faith? It's what God's called us to do and be. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here. He says, Fight with everything you have in you for this faith that's been entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. Don't you love it? It's a great, trans- it's a great paraphrase. I'm going to read it to you again. Fight with it. I, want, I want you to put yourself in this sentence. Fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. You know, he's calling us what Paul called us to about three or four weeks ago, right? To be plucky Christians. Now, what's, what's pluck mean? You guys remember, right? I'm trying to put a new word into your lexicon. What does pluck mean? Yes? It means to be courageous, right? To be brave, to be gutsy, to be fearless, to be spirited. That's what you do out in the world contending earnestly for the faith, right? That's who we are. We're plucky Christians. We're plucky Christians. It's what we do. So beloved, are you and will you contend earnestly for the truth that God has given to you? Are you and will you read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it and communicate it? Are you and will you hide, your, hide it in your heart and share it with those around you in your orbit? Can you recognize counterfeit Christianity when you see it and will you speak against it? Obviously, it's important for Christians to be able to understand the lies and falsehoods of Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and apostate Judaism We need to know that. We need to speak to that. But Jude's calling us to something that is a little more difficult, I think. He's calling us to know the truth of God and to be able to recognize, identify, and speak against pseudo-Christianity. It's a little bit harder because, I mean, obviously the world religions, they contradict what the Bible says. So they, they, know that we, they, they know we don't believe what they believe. The, the real danger is this pseudo-Christianity. Right? And when you speak against it, and I, I'll be honest with you, I've been, been critiqued many times, well, Jim, that's unloving. That's divisive. Can't we just get along? That's not, that doesn't promote unity. Right? It's kind of hard sometimes. You're going to get slapped around a little bit, at least verbally, If you take a stand, you say, listen, the Bible doesn't teach that. You put your arm around your Roman Catholic friend, you say, the Bible doesn't teach that. Friend, the Bible doesn't teach that. God expects you to know the Bible. And expects you to be sharing that truth with those who are around you. Let me ask you this, and I'm done. It's the question I've asked the last couple of weeks. Can you love people enough to do that? Will you love people enough to do that? Will you love your, uh, your friends in Islam and, and your Buddhist friends and your Hindu friends? Will you love them to share, them the, share the truth? Will, will you love those who are caught up in pseudo-Christianity? Will you love them enough to share the truth with them? 
it's hard sometimes because you get condemned. You're going to get, people are going to land on you sometimes. But you have to selflessly love them enough to share the truth with them. It's the lesson I learned with Jackie and Glenn and Janet and Ray and Sharon and Paul. They didn't come by very much <laughs> after a while. They stopped coming by. They didn't want to hear it anymore, right? It happens. But you, what you do, what I do, we just share the truth. We just sow the good seed. That's what we do. We sow the good seed in love. We sow the good seed. And let God handle the rest. So will you obey the Lord in this command? Will you be a student of the Word? And will you speak the truth? Will you love your friends and colleagues enough to do that? And I want you to understand, and I'm done. Jude's calling us to earnestly contend for the faith. Which is another way to say, I will defend the truth. So I need to ask you as I close, who is the truth? Who is... Are we just defending doctrine here? Is this just dogma? Or who are, who are we contending for? Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the truth. Beloved, it's not about this church. When I tell you to contend for uh, earnestly for the faith, it's not about something... Although it's a worthy thing, the church is always a worthy thing. It's not about the church. It's about Christ Himself. It's about Christ. That's what this text is about. It's about Jesus Christ. Will you love Him enough to contend earnestly for the faith, for the truth? I'm sorry, man. I got ambushed this week. I got ambushed this week. I'll do better next time, I promise. If I don't, you can put me on probation if you want to. But listen, I am the called, I am the beloved, and I am the kept. Amen? So, yeah, I had to preach that. And if you're a Christian tonight, if you know Christ, if you're born again, if you've given yourself away to Him, you are the called. You are the loved. And you are the kept. Let's pray together. Awesome God, we love You. Forgive us, Lord, when we let our Christianity be a small peripheral thing. Forgive us, Father, when we allow it to simply become a habit. When we allow it to just be something on the calendar to do. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we think like this. Forgive us when we fall into these bad habits. Lord, thank You for giving me this text this week. Thank You for reminding me that I am the called, I am the beloved, and I am the kept. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for this truth. Thank You that I don't have to be a religious man. Thank You that I don't have to wonder if I've done enough good things to get to heaven. Thank You that Jesus did it all. It's all done. It's not about what Jim does. It's about what Jesus has done. It's all done. It's been done. 
So thank You for this reminder, Lord, of just how awesome and deep and meaningful and beautiful our salvation is. Oh God, I pray we will not take it lightly. And oh God, help us. Help us to contend earnestly for this faith. Help us to stand and speak the truth to defend the Gospel of Jesus with all love and kindness and forbearance. We pray this in His awesome name. Amen. Let's sing a song.